0: Please stand as you are able for the reading of today's scripture taken from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. A good name is better than precious ointment, and a day of death than a day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of everyone, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow better than laughter for that by sadness of countenance the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression makes the wise foolish, and the bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. The patient in spirit are better than the proud in spirit. Do not be quick to anger, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is as good as an inheritance, An advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to the one who possesses it. Consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other. So that mortals may not find out anything that will come after them. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: God. Well, it's so wonderful to see you this morning and to be in worship after uh, winter on Friday. It appears as though spring is here today. And we welcome that and welcome each of you. I just want to uh, say a, a quick word to Ellen Garrett and to all of our children's uh, ministry staff and all of our volunteers. We're so proud of our kindergartners. We have uh, about 70 of them throughout the day who will be receiving these purple bags. Uh, many will be here. Uh, the early birds were here this morning, but we'll have many more at 9:45 and 11 and look forward to that. Also, uh, just to add to Uh, the congratulatory word to our scouting program, 110 years old, Troop 1, the first in the state of Tennessee. And also, uh, you may have noticed some of our girls who are in scouting uniforms, they were added last year, Troop 22. And so we have some of our girls who are with us as well today, and we welcome each of you uh, this morning. Thank you for your contribution to worship and your help with ushering. Also, uh, some of you were here. Who was here yesterday for the Faith Forum? Many of you were here yesterday for the Faith Forum on Race Relations. Uh, Haney Hall was packed with people. Uh, Toy and Allison that we call the dynamic duo hosted, helped us to host this event, and it was a revival that we had yesterday. People from all over the Tennessee conference were here, and the dialogue that we had together, the prayer, the preaching. Uh, You've heard some preaching, actually, in the pastoral prayer this morning uh, as well. But yesterday was just a marvelous, marvelous day, and we're so grateful to all of you who participated and joined with us yesterday. Well, this morning, we're in the third week, we're continuing this series on the wisdom book called Ecclesiastes under the theme, Chasing the Wind. And the text that Jack read for us contains what on the surface appears to be a random miscellaneous hodgepodge of proverbs that frankly suck all the air out of the room. Sounds a little depressing. In fact, the mood of the writer, if you have read the first six chapters, is one of absolute exhaustion. He's suffering from fatigue, from weariness. Sometimes that's true of us. There's a cumulative weariness sometimes that sneaks up on you, on parents, on children, on youth. And so, this is the mood, this is the tone that we hear in chapter 7. I can almost, in fact, hear beyond the reading, the words of another teacher who years later came and said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A closer look at this text, however, reveals that these random proverbs do, in fact, have an overarching theme that unites them. But before we go there, I want to offer some clarification as as to the genre or the kind of proverb that you see in chapter 7. These proverbs are called epigrams. Some of you know the word. An epigram is a pithy saying or remark that expresses an idea in a clever or amusing way that is usually clothed in satirical language, has a little satire and cynicism to it. Let me give you a few examples. Here's one. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. That's Lewis Carroll. Behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. That's Jim Carrey. Behind every great woman is herself. Sherry Chapel. <laughs> I was married by a judge. I should have asked for a jury. Groucho Marx. Mankind must put an end to war, or war will put an end to mankind. John F. Kennedy. Epigrams. Chapter 7 includes seven epigrams each of which contrasts two different realities, two possibilities, and each of which highlights one as better than the other. And yet the one that is underscored as better than the other is a little surprising, isn't it? To simplify what I'm saying, anybody remember from elementary math the greater than sign? That's a part of these epigrams. And so it might help to place one of these signs between these two possibilities. Honor is better than luxury. The end is better than the beginning. A funeral is better than feasting. Sorrow is better than laughter. Rebuke is better than praise. Patience is better than pride. Wisdom is better than money. You can go to the next slide now, Melissa. And then there's one more addition. I'm eisegeting a little bit on the next slide. I have no idea how that made it into the PowerPoint. I think Melissa was just adding that. I prophesied that last week, and I hate to say I told you so, but I I told you so. And so what the teacher is doing is reversing conventional wisdom in order to teach us a universal truth. And herein, listen, is the unifying theme of these epigrams. Here it is. The most teachable moments in your life, in my life, do not occur in our achievements, but in our adversity. The greatest opportunities for spiritual development occur not in my victories or our successes, but in our disappointments, in our distress, and in our disillusionment. Now we have a way of referring to these, sometimes you hear the word crucible, you heard that word before, crucible. A crucible literally is a vessel in which metals are subjected to great heat. This is a part of alchemy. High temperatures, great heat, which melts those properties, literally, but metaphorically a crucible is a severe test, it's a great trial that forces somebody, somebodies, to examine our values, to question our assumptions, and to hone our judgment. As a result of crucibles, people of faith are actually made stronger in our mission and in our purpose, and in the process are often transformed into something unexpected and redemptive. The heat does it. It melts away the dross. It purifies the vessel, the same that repentance does. It purifies, it empties us of us so that we die to self, that Christ may live within us. First Peter says something like this in chapter 1, verse 7, adversity proves the sincerity and authenticity of our faith. Now, with that in mind, these epigrams, some things better than others, let me recite the passage again, but this time in a modern paraphrase from The Message, Eugene Peterson. Listen to this. This is in terms that Brentwood can understand. A good reputation is better than a fat bank account. Your death date tells more than your birth date. You learn more at a funeral than a feast. Crying is better than laughing. It blotches the face but scours the heart. Sages invest themselves in hurt and grieving. Fools waste their time in fun and games. You'll get more out of a rebuke of a sage Than from the song and dance of fools, endings are better than beginnings. Sticking to it is better than standing out. Don't be quick to fly off the handle. Anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head. Don't forever be asking, where are the good old days? Wise people do not ask questions like that. Our most teachable moments come in the heat, and it's one of the core values of our church to be teachable. The word disciple means student, learner, doesn't mean you have all the answers. It means we know the questions. Ryan Holiday has written a little book. Some of you have read it. In fact, some of you recommended it to me. It's called The Obstacle is the Way. I love the subtitle, Timeless Art of Turning Adversity into Advantage. In the book, Mr. Mr. Holliday shares his own epigram, and this is it. I love this. Listen, blessings and burdens are not mutually exclusive. Let me say it again. Blessings and burdens are not mutually exclusive. You've discovered that, I've discovered that, that sometimes the greatest hardships, the greatest burdens, the greatest difficulties lead to the greatest blessings. That was true of Joseph, wasn't it, in the Old Testament? whose brothers threw him into a pit. And if they hadn't thrown him into the pit, the Midianites never would have sold him into Egypt. If he hadn't gone into Egypt, he never would have been put in prison. If he hadn't been put in prison, he never would have interpreted the dream of Pharaoh. And if he hadn't interpreted the dream, he never would have become prime minister. And if he hadn't become prime minister, he would have never saved his own people. And it started with a pit and a bloody robe. Ben Franklin once said, the things that hurt, instruct. It's always fascinated me how the prophet Isaiah, seven centuries before Jesus ever came on the scene, predicted him to be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And boy, was he ever... Jesus has some epigrams. Whoever wants to save his life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses her life for my sake will save it. Whoever among you wants to be great, you become like a kindergartner. You become like the least. Whoever wants to be a leader, get on your knees and wash some feet. Whoever wants to go up, must come down. Whoever wants to ascend must descend in humility. John the Baptist had an epigram. I must decrease while he increases. The Apostle Paul had an epigram for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Indeed, he said, I die every day to myself that Christ may live within me. Don't run away from adversity. You'll run right to it. I mentioned last week that more songs have been written, particularly in country music, about time than any other subject. I would say maybe second to that, songs have been written about death and dying, hardship. Tim Nichols and Craig Wiseman quite a pair. They wrote a song in 2004 that was inspired by a friend in Atlanta who'd been diagnosed with lung cancer. The song was sung by Tim McGraw, who made it famous, and it meant so much to a preacher in Brentwood named Howard Oles. In fact, Tim McGraw recorded that song after his own father's death. It's called Live Like You Were Dying. Based on a true story of a man who learned that he was limited. He had limited time. And in the song, the question is asked, what do you do? And his refrain was this. I went (laughs) skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness that I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Don't run away from adversity. There's an advantage to it in the crucible. The point of that song, and I think really of Ecclesiastes 7, when you get right down to it, is that when you consider the beginning in the beginning, the end, when you think about your own mortality, even when you're young, life begins to look a little different. You get a new perspective. When you take the counsel of the psalmist in chapter 90 who says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom, life takes on a new lens when you live like you're dying. When you live like you're dying, what seemed monumental yesterday seems trivial today. And what looks trivial yesterday turns out to be essential today when you live like you're dying. The truth of the matter is not a one of us is going to get out of this thing alive. I'm not talking about the service. I'm talking about life. The doors are still open, you can escape, but every one of us have a rendezvous with death. And I don't think it's morbid to say that, I think it's just reality. But the question for all of us is not when will you die, but how will you live? What's your epigram? (laughs) What, what's your reason? What's your purpose? What's your song? What? What's your eulogy? I'm always amazed what I learn at funerals. I almost never come away from a homegoing service without wanting to be a better man. I almost never leave this place at a homegoing service without wanting to be a better pastor, a better disciple, a better son, a better husband, a better father. And a week ago yesterday, we had a homegoing service for a woman named Ruby Wood, Robert I. Moore class, married to the same man for 70 years. A member of this church for 53 years. She was the epitome of grace. For Ruby, church was about people, it wasn't, first of all, about theology and polity, though that's that's important. It's about people. And what we noticed about Ruby was that she lived by the great commandment. Pretty simple for her. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ruby was the chair of the altar guild in the 80s and 90s uh, when Joe Pennell was pastor. And Joe told me one day that she asked him, as she was cleaning up some of the elements from communion, she was, she was looking at the cross. And she said, Joe, I've always wondered, what does that mean to you? The shape of the cross, is there some theology? What does the cross mean to you? And he thought for a moment and he said, well, two things really. It, it points upward as a demonstration of our love for God and it points outward as a demonstration of our love for others and joe said she looked at me and said joe i want to live a cross shaped life and he said ruby you already are and she did she learned to live like she was dying And consequently, she died just like she lived. And everybody at the fountains said so. She lived by this epigram For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Your burden becomes your blessing, your adversity becomes God's advantage and your cross becomes a crown that's why you can roll the dice on Jesus that's why you can risk it risk it all on him that's why you don't ever have to be afraid because he will never leave you he will never forsake you he will not leave you as an orphan Behold, he will make a place for you here and now and there and then, and nothing can separate you from that, not even the heat. The text ends with this verse, chapter 7, verse 14. When times are good, be joyful. And when times are sorrowful, consider God has made one as well as the other. Now, he's not talking about causality. Not everything that happens to you is of God. But everything that happens to you can be used by God. I share this, and then I'm finished. Yesterday, about 8.15, I'd been up a while. I'd been kind of polishing the sermon a little bit and thinking through that. And it was about 8.15, it was time to go. The faith forum here started at nine. We were hosting, I was gonna give the welcome. And I went out in the garage and started my car and nothing happened. Now, I'm not the kind of person who can fix that. And so if you ever see me on the highway with my head under the hood, I'm not fixing it, I'm praying for it. (laughs) Well, I did and that didn't help. And so I called Lyft. He said he'd be there in 12 minutes, and he was. And somehow, I got here just a little bit early. This young man named Adrian picked me up. I didn't tell him who I was. I don't usually start the conversation like that because I want someone to treat me like a person. (laughs) And so we began to drive. Where are you going? I'm going to Brentwood United Methodist Church. What's happening there? We're having a forum on race, conversations around race. He said that, well, that's interesting. He said, I'm… I'm married to an African-American woman. This is a white man who's driving the car from Mississippi. I said, we have biracial children, and they haven't always had it easy. And we talk about it all the time. I said, well, yeah, we're going to talk about that today. And he told me his story. And I told him why we were doing what we're doing, And he listened, and I listened. And we were pulling up to the church at the drive-through, and he said, "Uh, by the way, are are you a member of this church? I said, well, sort of. (laughs) He said, what does that mean? I said, well, I I work there. He said, are you in maintenance? (laughs) And I said, well, sort of. (laughs) There's a lot of maintenance to what I do. And he said, who are you? And I said, I'm, I'm the senior pastor. He said, you're the nicest senior pastor I've met. He said, I, my family, we've become kind of disgruntled about the church. I, I said, I, I think you'll find a home here. And I gave him a card and I got out and i i said to god what else would you like to break what else would you like to melt or mold so that I might be a witness for you. He hasn't answered yet. Leave working on me. Don't run away from adversity. Run to God in the heat, and you will discover that your burden may actually become your blessing and your adversity, your advantage so that we can be broken and live a cross-shaped life. That's our epigram, that's our mission.